Hi, I'm Lanny. On this podcast, I'll dive deep into all things home. Steading, cooking, schooling, making, food preservation, and scratch-made everything. Our homes used to be more than just a place to sleep and charge our smartphones. The home was the heart of our families, a place where we could birth our babies, school our children, grow, raise, cook, and preserve our own food, host weddings in the pasture, and funerals in our parlor. Do you want to take back your autonomy and breathe new life into your home? Let's learn together. With intention, we can rely more on ourselves and less on the systems that don't serve us. This is the Greener Postures Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Greener Postures Podcast. I'm your host, Lanny, and I'm happy to be here with you today. So we're talking about fermentation in the month of June. If you haven't listened yet, you can check out the previous episode where I kind of do an overview on fermentation and food safety. Uh, Today, I want to talk about the dry salt method. And next week, I'm going to talk about the brine method. So these are two basic methods of fermenting vegetables. And I think if you can wrap your head around either of these, you can pretty much figure out how to ferment anything that you want to without a recipe. And that's always been my goal when I'm doing things in the kitchen is to be able to understand it to the level of which I can pull it off without needing a recipe or direct instructions from someone else. So that's what we're going to go over today. And whether or not you want to take one of my workshops, whether or not you have a book, whether or not you are looking at other YouTube videos or listening to other podcasts, I'm hoping from this specific episode that you'll be able to go and experiment in your kitchen after you listen to me talk about this and feel confident doing so. And uh, that's where the learning will really start is when you're doing it yourself and trying new things. So I just do want to remind you that there is an upcoming workshop on June 25th. It's fermented vegetables, um, which is fermentation for food preservation. If you want to learn more to sign up for that online live workshop, you can go to greenerpostures.com slash workshops. And that's also where you can find information on any of the workshops that I've hosted in the past, where you can purchase a replay of that workshop. And it comes with the book that I give out and um, access to our group chat community. So Again, learn more at greenerpostures.com slash workshops. And if you're not yet, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, especially Instagram. And uh, I post reels and other kind of things on there. So updates on stuff. So that's a great place to keep in touch with me as well. So it's Father's Day as I'm recording this. It's June 18th and it is like a super rainy day here in the Northwest. Uh, we've had kind of some off and on drizzle and then sunshine days, but this is like a, it's raining hard and it has been for a while. It's funny to me when I think about how Mother's Day is all like the tradition in the United States is to bring mom um, Mother's Day breakfast in bed, right? Whether or not she wants it, sometimes it's not consensual, but it's like this forced breakfast in bed. And you have to be thankful because the little kids did it and it's uh, made a mess in the kitchen that you're going to clean up later or whatever. But for dads, for Father's Day, it seems like in the United States, the message that is sent is that dad should be barbecuing with all of us, for all of us. So everybody goes to dad's house and dad barbecues. So it's funny how mom gets to have breakfast in bed, but dad has to host um, a barbecue for people which is weird. But in our family, I kind of pushed Chad away from the barbecue early on. He did it for like the first year because I was afraid of propane. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. 
uh, where I still now I've I've rarely ever changed the tank by myself, but I am not afraid to use the grill anymore. So thanks, Chud, for walking me through that in a kind way. Um, I like to barbecue, so I take over and I do that. So if we're going to barbecue today, that'll be me, um, which we did get like this little tray insert on our gas grill that does charcoal and we wanted to try it out. Uh, charcoal grilled food is pretty delicious. Sorry, Hank Hill. I know propane is clean burning. Can you want to taste the meat, not the heat? But sometimes that flavor that charcoal or wood fire gives is really nice. So if the weather clears up, we'll be cooking on the barbecue today, hopefully with some charcoal. And if it doesn't, I have some Thai curry to make with chicken from the birds that we have slaughtered ourselves, And that's a good thing to have on a day where you're celebrating. And here, because it's raining, I have the famous Meatloaf the Cat with me. And she is on a separate chair than me. Now that I'm in a desk chair, she's on a nice, like, old-timey living room chair from the 60s. It's bright orange. But she keeps reaching over to me and clawing me to try to get my attention to pet her. So while she can't purr directly into the microphone with this new setup, she can still annoy me and distract me from what I'm doing. So hopefully that doesn't affect the content too much today. So guys, like fermentation is extremely fun. It's extremely exciting. I'm doing new stuff in the kitchen all the time. And it's such a good way to have condiments, flavor enhancers, vegetables, and probiotics ready made in your house. Like with things that you made, usually in season, hopefully, or um, at least, uh, you know, from the store in season, if not from your garden. But either which way, things at home that you made yourself, it's a good thing. So two main processes of fermenting vegetables, the dry salt method and the brine method. The dry salt method is that you don't add water, you just use salt. And the brine method being that you make a brine with salt and water. So today focusing on the dry salt method, I wanna just kind of walk through the steps in the process. And the first being, what can you ferment with the dry salt method? And that's probably the most important question to ask yourself before you get started fermenting because the way you prepare your vegetables and the way you want your vegetables and which vegetables you're fermenting will determine which method of fermentation you should use. For instance, whole pickles like cucumber pickles or pickle chips like slices, that needs a brine. But sauerkraut, which is a shredded vegetable, can make its own brine. And let me explain why. Sauerkraut with shredded cabbage is made with a dry salt method. The reason being is when you cut that vegetable and shred it, it leaves so much surface area that adding the salt and massaging it a little bit breaks down the cell structure in the vegetable and allows it to release its own water, its own juices. So instead of adding water and salt to cabbage, you're going to be fermenting the cabbage under brine that's created with the juice of the cabbage, which is going to make a more enhanced flavor anyway. You want the thing to taste like the vegetable, not like water. So for things that are sliced really thin like that, you can use the dry salt method. And I'm gonna describe what that is now, and then we'll talk about other kinds of vegetables that you could do the dry salt method with and different ways you could play with it. Uh, so we have the dry salt method is 
the following. You need to shred a vegetable. And we're going to just stick with sauerkraut on this one. This is how you make sauerkraut. Shred your vegetable. Many ways to do that. Get a head of cabbage, cut it in half, cut the core out. That's like the big fibrous thick part by the stem. Cut that out and either slice it really thin with a sharp knife or use a mandolin or a cheese grater or your food processor even. Some people like long strips, like when you make coleslaw, other people like it just diced up. I like it in strips and I like it pretty thin, but not too thin. The thinner it is, the softer and quicker it's gonna break down when it ferments. The thicker it is, the more fibrous coarse it might be for longer. So I pick the middle ground. If it's too, uh, too thin, it gets mushy fast. If it's too thick, it's too crunchy or too big of bites. So I go kind of in the middle and I like to cut mine with a knife. I don't use a, a food processor for this because I want some control over the size and shape of my slices. And I don't use a mandolin because I like having my fingers and I just don't trust myself with a mandolin. Uh, I don't think I should rub my hand right above a, like a sword <laughs> when I'm cooking. It just seems like a bad move. So I'm comfortable with the knife. I can curl my fingers on my left hand back so I don't chop those off. And I just go, you know, slow and steady. And I chop that up. Uh, after you've got your cabbage cored and chopped, you're going to add it to a bowl and hopefully you have a kitchen scale because I weigh my cabbage to determine how much salt I need to start with. Um, this is an easy way to do it. You can also eyeball it. You can also use um, just the taste as you go method. You could measure it in cups and try to memorize how many cups to how much salt it is that your recipe is once you get to know it. But for me, the way I um, help people when they're asking me how to learn is I tell them this shortcut, which is one pound of shredded cabbage to one teaspoon of salt. So for every pound of shredded cabbage, you do one teaspoon of salt. And this is good for me because it doesn't leave things that salty, but it's like enough to make it taste good. So for people who like it saltier, you can add more, but I don't think there's anybody who's going to think it's so salty. They wish they could take the salt away. So it's that safe starting point. Um, so this is not like an exact science. The salt does not make the fermentation happen. It's the vegetables and the bacteria and the under the brine part. Now, the salt does have some preserving power and really it's just a flavor enhancer. It makes it taste good and it's good for you. Salt in your food is important. So use real salt and uh, try to make it the non-iodized kind because that can affect with uh, the bacterial process. So shredded cabbage in a bowl, you weight it. Say you got three pounds, so that's three teaspoons. Uh, for those who don't know, three teaspoons is equal to one tablespoon. So when you get to three pounds, if you're doing a big batch, you can start counting by tablespoons, which would be three teaspoons, three pounds, one, three pounds of cabbage is one tablespoon of salt. So anyway, it is, it's in a bowl and you want the bowl um, a little bigger than the cabbage you're working on, but not that much because the cabbage is going to shrink down a lot once it starts to get the salt massaged into it. And that's the next step is to massage this. You're going to have a sauerkraut massage. So you're going to take the salt after you've weighed your cabbage, the correct amount of salt, sprinkle it over the cabbage. If you have a big amount, you know, kind of maybe lift a handful of the cabbage up and sprinkle salt underneath it. So it's kind of 
well incorporated, toss it around a little bit, and then use clean hands to kind of squeeze the cabbage. And when you squeeze this shredded cabbage, you're going to feel it kind of like breaking under the strain of being squeezed. And it's kind of, it's going to sound crunchy and maybe a little bit like, like rubbery. And you just keep squeezing and flipping it and squeezing and flipping it. And you're going to start to feel it start to break down in your hands and get softer. And then you're going to start to feel it starting to release juice. Now, two choices here when you get to this point. One is stir it enough to squeeze it all a little bit and then put a towel over the top of it and leave it sit for 15 minutes to a half an hour. This is going to let nature do the part where it gets the juices to release. So if you have the time, you're doing other things in your kitchen or you could get the rest of your supplies ready, I do it that way. Um, if you have sensitive hands, you have carpal tunnel, um, you have whatever, it doesn't feel good to you to be doing this, you don't like the salt on your skin, that's the way to do it. Otherwise, you can just keep squeezing and massaging this until you have a good amount of liquid pooled in the bottom of the bowl. Either way, the goal is this liquid that's pooled in the bottom of the bowl, and that liquid is the cabbage juice and the salt, and that liquid is going to be your brine. And you don't need a ton of it. Um, I will say that depending on what type of cabbage and how uh, fresh your cabbage is, is going to dictate how much water your cabbage releases. So if you're working with an older cabbage, it might be a bit dried out, or a cabbage you've had in the fridge that was cut in half, that might be a bit dried out. If you're working with a purple cabbage, those are more fibrous and it maybe takes a little longer for the water to get out of that. Um, either way, just try to look for the pool of water in the bottom and really the best way and the most photogenic part of uh, making sauerkraut, if you've ever looked at the pros making sauerkraut, they always have the picture of them lifting a handful of shredded cabbage and squeezing it with the, the juices running out from between their fingers and, and d streaming down into the bowl. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that much liquid coming out of the cabbage. Take a big handful, lift it up, squeeze it. And if you see it pouring out, then you know you're in the right bracket. And that is when you move on to your next part, which is packing your vessel. So for any fermentation, your vessel ideally would be ceramic or glass. There are other kinds of, of fermentation vessels. There's, you know, like barrels and things like that. It's all great. Try to avoid anything metal that could leach unwanted uh, metals into the food. And the acid of the ferment could be corrosive to the metal. So stainless steel is supposed to be okay, but I've never used it. I've never had to because my preferred method for a smaller batch of anything is to ferment in a mason jar. They do make half gallon size mason jars. Typically what you'll see um, people canning in would be like jam jars, which would be little eight ounce jars, one cup, or pints, which are two cups, the 16 ounces, quarts, which are four cups or 32 ounces, and then half gallons the next size after that, which are two quarts or 64 ounces. So I think that those half gallon size jars are great for fermentation, um, but depending on how much you make, you might need a smaller jar. So quart size jars and half gallon size jars are great. So I think about five pounds of cabbage fits into a half gallon size mason jar, if I remember correctly. Um, and you need to have your food packed into the jar with enough space on top that you could put a weight on there to hold the food under the brine. So remember that's key here is keeping the sauerkraut submerged under the brine 
uh, will allow it to ferment and not allow it to grow mold or become uh, spoiled. So there are these really nice um, canning lids and springs that come in a set that are made by Ball, the canning company. And they have these springs that you can put into the jar and then tighten the lid on. And the tension of the spring from pressing against the food and the lid will hold the stuff under the brine. And I really like those. They are made of stainless steel. So that is, um, you know, it looks like metal and it's a spring and I put it in my food and it's fine. It's not, I've used these again and again and again, and they're not corroding at all. There's no, um, I have no concern about it. So with that, I think, um, that's a really good choice, but you can also get glass weights uh, and like you can use a cloth for the lid or something else, but basically you want your lid to be able to release gases as they build up and you want a weight to be able to hold things under. Now, if you're talking fermentation by the pros, they talk about a follower, a weight, and a lid. So your vessel, follower, weight, and lid. Your vessel would be the jar. Your follower would be something that you place on the top of the food before you put the weight on. And this is the, the reason to add this is because it's like basically going to make a blanket over the food to hold it under the brine when, once the weight's pressed down. If you're working with a shredded cabbage, little pieces can want to float to the surface. But if you put a follower down, it will try to tuck all of that in. So when you press the weight or the spring down, whatever you're using... Uh, it will hold everything under the brine. And I like for cabbage to use a outside leaf of my head of cabbage. So when I first start, I should have said this earlier, before I shred my cabbage, I cut it in half and core it, sure, but then I take a couple of the large outer leaves of the cabbage and I set it aside. So that when I come to the end of this, I can use that leaf of cabbage to put on the very top to create that follower to hold everything under the brine. So big cabbage leaf, fold it if you need to, to fit it into the jar and press it, press it, press it so that it all gets under the brine. Your goal is, is that you push down on this cabbage and it's packed in there and you let all of the air that might be trapped between the pieces of shredded cabbage out of the jar and you push it down so that the liquid rises above the cabbage. And once you do that, then you place the weight on, which will hopefully keep that below the, the line of liquid and then you place a lid on that is breathable in a way where it will release gases but not let fruit flies or other unwanted things into the jar. Don't forget at that point to put a piece of masking tape on it and write with a sharpie the date and if you're new you can write the goal of like when you're going to first taste it or you could say you know maybe this will be hopefully 18 days question mark whatever. Um, I write the date and I write the contents. And it's funny because why would I write the contents? I can tell it's cabbage, right? But sometimes I have like 12 jars going at the same time and I've done weird experiments. This one has garlic in it. This one has juniper berries. I put shredded apple in there and I can't even tell what, that it's apple anymore. It's all just part of the sauerkraut. So I do write what, what is in there most of the time. And at that point, you can taste it a little bit and see, oh yeah, it tastes like crunchy cabbage and the water is salty, but not too salty. And before you pack it in your jar, taste it. And if it tastes like there's not enough salt, you can add more salt at that point too. Uh, just try to go easy because over salting something can be really disappointing because something that's not salty enough, you can add salt. Something that's too salty, can't take it away and it can be kind of too much to eat sometimes. So the dry salt method, now we've 
shredded and we've massaged the salt in, we've released the brine, we've packed it into a vessel, we've covered it with a follower, we've placed the weight on to hold it under the brine, and we've put a breathable lid on. We've labeled it and that's it. That's how you start a ferment with a dry salt method. Now, if you're wondering, besides maybe you're not a fan of sauerkraut, or maybe you want to think ahead a little bit, what are some other vegetables that you can use the dry salt method for? And I would say that my favorite are anything that you can think of like a kraut or a relish. So you can make a dill cucumber relish using this method by shredding your cucumbers and putting garlic and pickling spice and dill. And it's, it's been super good. And if you like it a little spicy, add some chili flakes, add that salt to it, massage it a little, and you won't really have to massage it much because cucumbers are really juicy. And when they start to release their fluid after you cut them, like you barely have to do anything to them to make them juicy enough to submerge under a brine. And then because of the juiciness of the cucumbers, sometimes I up that salt a little bit because the salt is going to be more diluted by all of that liquid. So that's one that I really like to, to work on and taste as I go and then put it in the jar. Remember the flavor is going to continue to develop. Like right when you're tasting, it's going to taste like cucumbers that have salt on them. Eventually it's going to taste like relish because it's going to have that sour vinegar taste and it's going to have the taste from whatever herbs or spices or garlic that you put in it. And it's going to be great. But for like hot dog relish, this is the way to go. You can also make kraut from purple cabbage, or you can make it from green cabbage, or you can make it from both, a mix of the two. I have a recipe that I call sunset kraut, which is the two of those um, two colors there. And I use turmeric in that as well. Ideally, it would be shredded fresh turmeric, as well as what else goes in that one? Onions. I do thinly sliced onions. So you can make plain sauerkraut or you can flavor it with just about anything. There's a book that I love and she has a recipe in there that has shredded fennel bulb with the shredded cabbage, with shredded apple and some juniper berries. And that was amazing. Super delicious. You can make sauerkraut that's shredded with also shredded uh, carrots. You could do it with something spicy. If you like jalapenos, you can dice them really small or you can leave them in like little rings. You could even slice them um, the lengthwise and shove the whole thing in with it. Uh, while it's not going to release juices the same because you didn't shred it, if everything else is shredded and you have enough brine, you could put those whole peppers in there, which will leak their flavor out into the brine and make everything taste like jalapenos. And then you'll have these big, beautiful jalapenos to eat. Um, that are pickled as well, and they will have a little milder flavor than they do when they're uh, raw because the spiciness from the jalapeno is kind of leached out into the brine and into the other food, so it's not quite as concentrated in the jalapeno itself. And that's a good one too. Um, other kinds of shredded things I've done, you can think outside the cabbage box, but think of like the same idea, the same family, and you could shred kohlrabi instead and make like a kohlrabi slaw that you could either eat. Uh, you know, oft- oftentimes when we have a lot of cabbage, I'm making a coleslaw and making a sauerkraut on the same day because then I'm just shredding cabbage and I put a handful in a bowl to make sa- uh, to make coleslaw and then I put the rest in the crock for a sauerkraut. So same thing I did last year with kohlrabi because we had a bunch of that and that was really good. 
And if you haven't worked with kohlrabi before, it's it tastes a lot like cabbage, but mm, a different flavor, but it's got that really good crunch. And it's nice and watery too, so there's no problem when you shred it getting oh, the brine. Uh, same with carrots. You could do just a straight up carrot relish where you just shred carrots like on a cheese grater and then rub salt into them and pack them into a jar. Uh, you'll be surprised how, especially if you don't need a lot of sugar, you will be surprised how sweet that tastes. Like carrots are sweet. We, we can forget what's sweet in nature. That's not, you know, obviously fruit or berries. Uh, but if you don't eat a lot of sugar, something like a carrot, uh, shredded carrot salad or a shredded carrot slaw is like sweet. It's like a treat. So you could do that. Um, I think it's really fun to just experiment with flavors and seed spices go really good in like any ferment. So you could do pickling spice or caraway, cumin, coriander, any whole seed spice. You could toast those spices first and then let them cool. You can crack them or not. Peppercorns are another great one. Dill seed is another great one. Um, just dill in general, fresh herbs can, can work. So you could use fresh dill. You could try bay leaves. Um, pretty much whatever you like. Um, curry powder also does really well. Sometimes it feels like it's hard to keep it on the food and under the brine because it kind of wants to float to the top, but if there's no harm there, it's totally fine. But if you add something that has like turmeric, it's gonna change the color of your brine and the, and the color of your final product. So that's kind of fun to experiment for different looks. Um, other things like jicama or um, beets or maybe a little lesser known vegetables, you can consider, hey, what would happen if I shredded those? If I added salt, would it release liquid? And if the answer is yes, then you could do the dry, dry salt method. So there's not really any wrong ways to do things. Don't do a potato, it's raw. <laughs> I don't think that's good for you. But I think that there is a fermented sweet potato uh, drink called a sweet potato fly where you make basically like a ginger bug, but you make it out of a sweet potato and then you make a soda from it. I might want to experiment with that too because I, I I've read about it a few times. I've never done it. It sounds like it'd be starchy, but I don't know. It's probably, people probably like it for a reason. So there's probably something to it uh, to check out. So what else guys? Uh, do you have any ideas of what you could shred and make uh, into a ferment? Like beets are actually pretty good because they'll even raw will release water once they're shredded. So you could make uh, a dry salt method beet salad basically it would be like a beet slaw that's fermented first and it's going to keep a really nice crunch and it's going to keep a beautiful color that will stain your hands and your clothes and you could try doing that um because while i typically ferment beets i make a drink called kvass uh, and i love it but i love beets and it feels like wasteful almost to throw the fiber away from the plant and so to think about shredding it and making it that way um, using onions and garlics in, in these things. Um, garlic scapes are really good fermented, which is something that's on my mind right now because I have garlic scapes in the garden that I need to harvest. And I'm not sure if I'm going, I, I want to make pesto, but I also want to ferment them. So I'll probably do a small, small jar of each. Um, both sound good. And maybe I should figure out how to do a fermented pesto. And see, oil and fermentation don't mix. But if I did a fermented scapes first and then I processed it and added oil, maybe there's something there. Maybe it's like more like a salad dressing, fermented garlic scape oil and vinaigrette or something, you know? Um, so once you understand like the principles of these things and you've done some basic recipes, I hope that you can start to feel really comfortable with playing with it because that for me is what's really fun. 
I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, I couldn't do it like that because I just need to know exact measurements and I just need to know, you know, have someone show me exactly what to do. And I really hope if you're listening to this that you could start to like let that go a little bit and start to just have a little fun experimenting with things because it doesn't have to be so strict and rigid. If you understand why fermentation is safe, the basics of it, why it's not going to make you sick, how to do it in a good way where you'll have a good outcome, you know, keep it under the brine and keep an eye on it. Then you can just have fun with it and just have fun using what you have in your garden, what you found, you know, foraging or what you have in your fridge or at your grocery store, your farmer's market, and just get into it. And a lot of people ask me, how do I know when my ferment is done? And that is a question I asked a lot when I first started as well. And the answer is it's done when you think it's done. And I know that can be really challenging for some people. Some ferments go really fast and some take a little longer. And a few things to consider are the size of the chunks of the vegetable. So with shredded dry uh, salt method fermentations, they can go kind of quickly. But if they're really packed into a dense jar, they might take a little longer. And if the jar is really, really big, it's going to take longer than a jar that's small. And if um, the food is really fibrous, you might like it to go a little longer so that it softens a bit. So it's really up to you. But I'd say you're going to reach the optimal pH by about day four or five with most things, maybe even sooner. And that is below 4.6. And that's the safe zone for fermented vegetables. So you can taste it before that too. But just watch your ferment. The first couple of days, if you're going to see some activity starting, it's going to get pretty bubbly after a while, then the bubbles will kind of subside and the, the brine will look cloudier or darker or have changed color depending on which vegetable you're fermenting. And it will just kind of become more dormant after a while. And I'd say start tasting it then. My favorite for sauerkraut, 12, 18, 20 days. You know, 23 days, I've said, was a sweet spot. It varies. And the other variable is the temperature in your house. If it's hot, it goes faster. If it's slow, it goes slower. Sorry, if it's cold, it goes slower. So if you want to learn how to ferment, I really suggest reading your ferment, taking into account what your ambient temperature in your house is, what ingredients you used, and tasting things often and finding out when you like it. It's not, there's no rules to say it's, it has to be, you know, cooked a certain amount of time. It just needs to go for as long as it goes until you want to start eating it or until it tastes good. And when they were using fermentation for a form of food preservation, you'd make a huge batch of sauerkraut, you'd put it in your cellar, and then you'd start eating on it after all the fresh cabbage was gone. And it would be done when it was empty when that crock was empty. So that means early in the season, fall and winter sauerkraut was probably really crunchy and bright, and it was probably squishy and dull by the time spring came around just before the cabbages started growing again. If you're good at it, it means it lasted you the whole year. And that's what I do, and that's what I notice even when keeping my ferments in the refrigerator. After about a year, they have changed. They're duller in color. They're funkier in taste, and they are softer in texture. 
So for me, I really like a crunchy texture with my vegetables. And so I don't go a super long time with my ferments. I've gone as much as 60, 70, well, I've even done 85 days on sauerkraut in a small jar. And it just, it's fine. You can eat it. It's just funky and a little too soft for me. So going about 20 days, 18 days, 25 days, depending on the time of year, sauerkraut is great that way. One thing to keep in mind is that increased sugar content in carrots that also affects the speed of fermentation because that is a lot of food for those yeast and bacteria. They love sugar. So that can go faster. And I have also experienced the most common time I will accidentally grow calm yeast on the top of a ferment is when I do carrots. And I think that's because of the increased sugar content. So if you're doing a straight carrot relish, I would recommend checking it at three, four days and you might find it's already ready to move to the fridge. So guys, that's it for the uh, dry salt method. And I really hope this helps answer some of your questions if you had any and helps you feel like you could get started making something like relish or kraut. And if this uh, brings up more questions, please reach out to me. If you're a member, you can reach out to me through our group chat. Otherwise, reach out to me by DMing me on Instagram or sending me an email at greenerpostures at pm.me. This is still my favorite topic to talk about, no matter how many times I have. I still am experimenting with new recipes every time I put stuff in the crock, and it's endlessly interesting. So I hope that you guys will find some joy in this as well and find this as a great way to put up some seasonal produce this summer when you, things are growing either in your garden or in the gardens around you. And uh, if you have any cool ideas for recipes or anything else you want to share, of course, reach out. Until next time, folks, take care. Thanks for listening. I'm Lanny, and this was the Greener Postures Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Greener Postures, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Preserving Today, by going to youtube.com slash at greenerpostures. Questions, feedback, or would you like to be a guest on the show? Send me a DM, or you can email me at greenerpostures at pm.me. I'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in attending one of my online workshops and joining the exclusive Greener Postures Telegram group chat, go to my website, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. I hope to see you there. Sleep alive.